But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, you know it's going to be either really good or really bad when you've already been crying before you even get up to preach. So, uh, yeah, just whenever, uh, whenever Lucas mentioned it, next Sunday is Sending Sunday when we're uh, heading off to launch Village South, uh, I realize that it's actually happening. Uh, so apparently we're actually planting a church next week. Um, anyway, I can't talk about that right now. Uh, my name's Andrew. Uh, if you've never been here before, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors of Village. Um, as we kind of move into this season of, of launching our new uh, church plant over in South Belfast, um, if, if, if you live over that way, if you're, you're part of the community over there, uh, you're more than welcome to be part of that, by the way. Um, that's, that's definitely open to you. Um, but as we move towards that, we've been looking at uh, uh, our core values as a church. These 10 core values we have, these things that, that kind of, I guess a good way to put it is, is like what gives village its villageness, you know, like what makes us us. Um, and John did a great job last week of just talking about grace for like 45 minutes, and it was, I think it was really good for all of us. Um, and today we're going to look at two more of these values. The first one, I think, is, is really the value, the core value, which um, I guess uh, would never change no matter where and when we were doing church. It's the one thing that, that should always be the core value. It's the reason we're here. It's the reason we do what we do. And this core value is so vital to us that um, we actually say as a church that the day that it's no longer important to us is the day that we close the doors, the day we stop doing church. And the core value that's going to be on the screen is pursuing Jesus. Let me read what this means to us. Jesus Christ is at the center of everything we do at Village. He is all we have to offer. The day that we stop pointing towards and pursuing Jesus is the day that we are done. Our lives truly begin and end with Jesus. We want to build a culture which orients around this reality as we encourage each other to pursue Jesus with all we have. Let me pray for us, because I feel like we need it. Uh, Father, help us to get our minds around this, uh, this vast reality that you are everything. Jesus, you are all. Open our hearts, Lord. Would, they, would our hearts just be fertile ground this morning as we, as we listen to you and as we read from your word and hear from you this morning, Lord? We need your help. We need your help even to understand you and even to worship you. Be with us, Lord. Amen. This is the culture we want to create, a village. At the end of the day, if we're not pursuing Jesus, then what are we doing, right? 
It's all about him. This is, this is, everything we do is pointing to Jesus. Everything we do should point to Jesus. The way that we do everything should point to Jesus. And not just church, all of everything is about Jesus, right? This is what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that, that, that at his resurrection, God has put everything under Jesus' feet. In other words, he's put him in charge of everything. He is Lord over all. So we seek to pursue him. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, hold on a minute. You guys are always saying, uh, God chose me. That he was the one that pursued me. Jesus chose me. My salvation has nothing to do with me. So, so, so what is me pursuing Jesus got to do with anything? And I want to start by saying that you're absolutely right. God did choose you. Your salvation is nothing to do with you. Jesus pursued you. And this is what John showed us so well last Sunday. Amazing grace. He pursued us and he called us and paid for our freedom with his life. Not because of any goodness in, in, in us, but because of this overflowing goodness that's in him, that he is goodness and it overflows. And before I get into what it means to pursue Jesus and why we should pursue Jesus, I want to be absolutely clear. Never ever think that the call of us Christians to pursue Jesus in any way contributes to or adds to your salvation. That's simply not true. You're saved. If you're a Christian this morning, you're saved because Jesus saved you. You did nothing to save yourself. You're saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift of God. I want to be really clear about that. So what is pursuing Jesus then? Well, I think a helpful way to think about it is when we talk about pursuing Jesus, what we're talking about is a, is a, right, and, is a right and proper response to his pursuit of us, right? He pursues us he has called us, and in response, we chase after him. See, he has done this work in us. He's, he's opened our eyes to his beauty and his majesty, and, and in response, we see him for who he is, and we run after him. L let, me, let me give you an illustration. Um, I don't know if it's a good one, but anyway, we'll see. Um, when I was uh, maybe about 10 or 11, something like that, my dad gave me a gift, um, he gave me a fishing rod, um, which is, you know, a good thing to give a boy um, or a girl. Just, I happen to be a boy. Um, now, I didn't do him to earn it. It wasn't my birthday. I hadn't passed exams or anything like that. He just wanted to give me a fishing rod. And it was his joy to give me a fishing rod. Because he enjoyed fishing, right? And he wanted to share his joy of fishing because, with me because he loved me. And it was his delight to give me the fishing rod and his delight to see me grow and enjoy fishing. I'm not, I've never got very good at it, but I enjoy it. Now, imagine if he had given me a fishing rod, right? And I had never gone fishing. I could have got the fishing rod and enjoyed it for like it being like a, a kind of cool, nice looking object, right? I could even have been really, really grateful that he had given it to me. But that wouldn't have been a proper response to someone giving you a fishing rod, Right? The proper response to someone giving you a fishing rod is to go fishing. And my dad was, was, was hoping that I wouldn't only just go, go fishing once, but that I would go fishing with him. And that I would, I would, it would become a hobby for me and something that I would grow to get a lot of enjoyment out of. He didn't just want me to have a fishing rod. He wanted me to enjoy 
the fullness of, of this world of fishing. It's not about fishing. I don't care if you're into fishing or not. It's just an example. It's kind of like this with Jesus. He pursues us. He calls us. He gives us this gift of eternal life. Life in all its fullness, Jesus says. And the proper response is to pursue Jesus in all his fullness. To, to, I heard one, one person put it this way, to plumb the depths of our salvation. And so we need to remember this one thing before we get started here. Our pursuit of Jesus starts with his pursuit of us. Let me say that again. Our pursuit of Jesus starts with his pursuit of us. Um, uh, an old uh, theologian has this, uh, A.W. Tozer is his name, he has this book called The Pursuit of God. And in it he says this. We pursue God because, and only because, he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to pursuit. Let me say that again. We pursue God because, and only because, he has first put an urge within us that spurs us to pursuit. No man can come to me, said our Lord, except the Father, except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And it is by this prevenient drawing that God takes from us every vestige of credit for the act of coming. The impulse to pursue God originates with God, but the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. In other words, we only come to Jesus in the first place because God has drawn us to Jesus. There was nothing in us that wanted Jesus. It was God that drew us to Jesus, and the outwork of our being drawn to Jesus is that we follow him. We pursue him. I think that sometimes um, we can maybe fall into the trap of thinking, well, Jesus has pursued us. Uh, we found him, so we don't need to keep pursuing him, right? But it's not true. Think about the fishing rod. The initial gift is only experienced and enjoyed in as much as I use it and enjoy everything that fishing has to offer. Or think about, think about my marriage. Imagine if on my wedding day, right, I just gave up, right? Healy's mine now. There's a ring in her finger. I don't need to try anymore. I can just sit back and cruise through life. Would that make for a successful marriage? Uh, ask Healy, no. <laughs> ask any spouse, no. Yes, there's a ring in her finger. I, am I secure that my bride is mine? Yeah, you better believe I am. And even in the times when I don't pursue her, she's still mine. But that's not the point. The point is that my bride, my wife, is this incredible, undeserved, beautiful gift. And so I don't pursue her to make her mine. I don't pursue her to, to keep her mine. I pursue her because she is mine. I pursue her because she's worth pursuing. And it's the same with Jesus. I don't deserve him. I didn't earn him. His gospel is beautiful. And so I don't pursue Jesus to make him mine. I don't pursue Jesus to keep him mine. I pursue Jesus because he is mine. I pursue Jesus because he is worth pursuing. John Piper said this, the evidence that you have him is that you want more of him. It's like Pringles. <laughs> Once you pop, you can't stop. Did I just compare Jesus to Pringles publicly? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. But it's the idea, when, when, when you have true grace in your life, the evidence that it's there is that there's a desire for more grace, right? The, the fact that you're saved means that you want more of that. You want more of God. You want more of Jesus. 
And so the key thing in all of this is that the pursuit of Jesus isn't optional. It doesn't stop after we accept Jesus. Jesus calls us, we find him, and then we enter into a life of pursuing him. And this is what we see in our passage from Philippians 3 today. Here, we see Paul pursuing Jesus. Because Jesus has pursued him and made him his own, he says, he presses on towards the goal. So let's look at this text. Keep your Bibles open or your apps open. And I want to show you from this passage four reasons why we pursue Jesus. Firstly, we pursue Jesus in order to know him. We pursue Jesus in order to know him. Let's read verses 7 and 8 again. Paul says this, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul pursued Jesus to the point of forsaking all the things that that people normally boast about. He didn't care about wealth or position or power. In fact, Paul already had all these things. He had tried those. Even having a wife and a family wasn't as as important to him as knowing Jesus. This is what he lived for. He says, absolutely nothing compares to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Notice the tense that he uses in verse 7. It's past tense. He says, I count it as loss. It's something that has happened. And this probably refers to like his moment of conversion. In the moment that Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the Damascus road, Paul saw the beauty and the worth of Jesus. And it was so great that in that moment, he counted everything else in his life as loss, as worthless compared to Jesus. But then in verse 8, he changed the tense. It turns to present tense. He says, I count everything as loss. So why is he doing this? Why is it, is it a past tense or is it a present tense? Yes, it is. He continues to, he has renounced everything, but he continues to renounce everything that hinders him from knowing, uh, from getting to know Jesus Christ more. A friend of mine always says, um, <laughs> I, I don't know, anyway, it's helpful for me. He says like, well, when you're making decisions in life, is that going to draw you closer to Jesus or is that going to stop you from knowing Jesus? That's a really easy way to make decisions, right? Is that going to lead me closer to Jesus? Then that's probably a good thing to do. Is it going to stop me from knowing Jesus or hinder me from knowing Jesus? Then it's probably not a good decision to make. And why? Why does does Paul say he renounces everything? He continues, he continually renounces everything that hinders him from getting to know Christ. Because knowing Christ is a value that surpasses everything else. He goes so far as to say that in comparison to know Jesus, everything else is rubbish. The word, I need to be careful here, but the word that he actually uses is literally excrement. It's dung. For Paul, in comparison to knowing Jesus, everything else, every effort, every treasure, every relationship, every other com- pursuit in life is completely and utterly worthless. And this is why we need to pursue Jesus. This is why at Village, we want to create a culture of pursuing Jesus. Because to not, to not pursue Jesus means that we don't want to know him. And to not want to know Christ is, is an insult to his value and his worth and his majesty. But when we do pursue Jesus, our reward is, this, is, the, is the joy of the fullness of life and, and the honor of Christ. 
Look at this prayer that Paul prays in, in Ephesians 3. He prays in Ephesians 3, 18 to 19, that, that we may have power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Surpasses knowledge. This is the, this is the paradox of us as believers, right? The fullness of Christ can, can never be known, but yet we know him. We can, and, and, and trust me, if you're a Christian, we can and we will pursue Jesus forever, but we'll never truly grasp the depths of his love for us. Think about that for a second. You can't ever reach the edges of his love for you. <laughs> Another amazing thing that John Piper said, listen to this, his wonders are inexhaustible to all eternity. His wonders are inexhaustible to all eternity. Isn't that amazing? We'll be enjoying the fullness of Jesus' love for all eternity, and we'll never get to the end of it. For all eternity, and we'll never get to the end of it. His love is eternal. And this is why we pursue Jesus, to know his love, to, to enjoy and experience him. The gift of himself that he has given us, we pursue Jesus in order to know him because he is worth knowing. Secondly, I want us to see that, that we pursue Jesus in order to be found in him. We pursue Jesus in order to be found in him. Take a look at the second half of verse 8 and into verse 9. This is what Paul says. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, excrement, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Okay, so he just said a bunch of stuff in there, and it can be a wee bit confusing. So what's he talking about? He's talking about justification, okay? Let me break this down. Justification is this word that the Bible uses, and it refers to this amazing act of God in which he forgives all of our sin, and impurity, and he puts his righteousness and goodness and purity onto us through faith in Christ. And notice the tense that he uses here. He says, I am counting all things as rubbish. I am forsaking them. I am pursuing Jesus. This is a continual thing for Paul. And why is he doing this? In order that he might gain Christ and share in God's righteousness. Now, let's pause here because I think we're getting into murky waters and I want to be as clear as possible. All right, Paul's a Christian. I think we can all agree that Paul's a Christian. He's been saved by grace through faith. He knows it's a gift and it's nothing to do with his efforts or works. We, you don't need to start to convince Paul of that. He literally wrote the book on it. He wrote several books on it. But yet, but yet, he's still saying he's straining forward to gain Christ and to be found in him. So what's he, what's he talking about? For Paul to lose Christ would be to lose everything, but to gain him would be to enjoy his fellowship and plumb the depths of his love forever. And you're like, but hold on, isn't justification by faith? Don't I already have Christ? Aren't we made right with God by, by not by our own efforts, but by God's efforts? Yes. That's not what Paul's saying here. In verse 9, he's really, really clear about this. 
The righteousness Paul pursues is based on faith. But here's the point. He is pursuing it. As a Christian, he he counts all things as loss in order to have this righteousness. So there there seems to be some kind of conflict here. There seems to be some kind of contradiction. So let me unpack it a wee bit. I'll start with this, with, the, with this statement, and then I'll unpack that statement. And this is key. The faith which justifies is a faith which forsakes earthly values and pursues Christ. Let me say that again. The faith which justifies is a faith which forsakes earthly values and pursues Christ. Of course Paul has been justified by faith. But the point is, the same faith that is, work, that is at work in him for his justification also creates a heart change in him so that he's now on this lifelong journey of pursuing Jesus. Do you see? Remember how earlier we saw that that where there is true grace in your life, um, you'll have a desire for more grace. We saw that the the, the evidence uh, that you have him is that you want more of him. This is what Paul's talking about here. Paul's saying, in his saving faith, trusting in Jesus to save you, isn't just a once, like a one-time decision. Saving faith in Jesus is an ongoing preference, uh, an ongoing preference for Christ over all other values. And so, when we pursue Jesus, we have the um, have the desire to pursue Him. We it's evidence that we're really in Him. It's evidence that we really have received this gift of grace. We are a new creation. So, yes, God draws us to Jesus. Yes, Jesus reveals his majesty to, to us. And in that moment, we, in that moment uh, we choose him. We do choose him. But it's not just a one-time decision. It creates an ongoing, lifelong decision to continually pursue him. And so we pursue Jesus to be found in him. Thirdly then, we pursue Jesus because we need him. Look at verse 12. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Paul recognizes that he's not perfect. He, he knows that, that in Jesus there is perfection to come for him, but until then he's still not perfect, and it's the same for us, right? I'm not perfect, despite how I may appear. That's a joke. Uh, it's okay to laugh. Unless it's not funny, then don't laugh. You're not perfect, but someday, if you're a Christian, you will be made perfect. And the Bible says, until that day, we press on towards this perfection. Why? Because pursuing Jesus is evidence of our ongoing sanctification. Okay, let's pause again. Sanctification is just this word that the Bible uses. It's a biblical word, and and it just means becoming more like Jesus. That's That's the journey we're on. I want to explain this. So we rebelled against God, and as a result, we've been separated from God and from our true humanity. In other words, we've, we've, we've stepped out of the way that we were created to be. And in that state, we were completely helpless to do anything to make that right. But in this act of incredible grace, think of what John taught us last Sunday. God the Son came to earth as the person Jesus He was fully God and fully man. And as a man, he lived the perfect life. He lived lived in the way human beings were created to be in the image of God. 
And so when we become Christians, we're redeemed by Jesus, and as we've already seen, we get a new nature. And as we grow in our faith, we begin to become more and more like Jesus. In other words, we begin to become more and more like how God created human beings to be, following in the way of Jesus, created in the image of God. This is what sanctification is. And this is why we pursue Jesus, because we can't become like Jesus without Jesus. If I'm an apprentice to a carpenter, because we're talking about Jesus has to be a carpenter, right? If I'm an apprentice to a carpenter, I can't learn how to be a carpenter without actually doing what a carpenter does. That wouldn't make any sense. It's the same for our sanctification. We can't become more like Jesus without following Jesus. We pursue him because we need him. Only Jesus, God and man, could live the perfect life. And we could never do that in our own strength. And so in every area of our lives, we pursue Jesus as our redeemer and as our example. So how should we conduct ourselves at work? Pursue Jesus. How should we go about being a friend or a neighbor? Pursue Jesus. How should you live as a wife or a husband or a single person? Pursue Jesus. You see where I'm going with this? Want to know how to bring up your children? Pursue Jesus. Want to know how to conduct your finances and your business? Pursue Jesus. Because only he has the real and true vision for life. We pursue Jesus because we need him. I love one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Is uh, I, have a, I say that a lot, I think. <laughs> I love it all. Um, Peter says to Jesus in John chapter 6, all his disciples are leaving him because they can't handle some of the difficult things Jesus is saying. And Peter just says, and Jesus says to them, are you guys not going to leave me too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. See, Peter knew that there was no real life outside of Jesus. And the moment you start to think, I'm good, I got this, is the moment that you've stopped trusting him. Is the moment that you think that you know better than your teacher. Is the moment that you think that you know better than the God of heaven. We sang it earlier. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he wasn't messing about. He was deadly serious. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. I want to speak... I want to speak to you if you're a Christian this morning in this room. I want you to grasp this. If you're a Christian this morning, your life isn't about you. Your life is about Jesus and bringing glory to him. And the amazing thing is that when we do that, we, we actually find true life. We actually find life in all its fullness. So we pursue Jesus in order to know him. We pursue Jesus in order to be found in him. We pursue Jesus because we need him. Finally then, we pursue Jesus because we're owned by him. We saw earlier we pursue Jesus because he has pursued us and has by faith made us his own. Look at verse 12 again. Not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made me his own. We started this morning looking at this uh, false notion that if, if Jesus has pursued us and found us, then we don't need to seek him anymore. 
But this isn't what Paul's saying here. This isn't what God says in his word. Paul actually says the opposite. He says, actually, I press, I press on in harder to gain Christ because Christ has already gained me. See, when Paul met Jesus on the Damascus Road and, and saved him, uh, his life was completely turned around. And the irresistible grace of, of Jesus saving him and forgiving his rebellion, it didn't make Paul passive. It wasn't like getting married and saying, ah, oh, well, I can just sit back and relax now. It didn't make him passive. It made him proactive. From that moment on, Paul was on a lifelong journey of pursuing Jesus. Look at verse 14. He says, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Every part of his life, his single focus and goal was pursuing the one that saved him. And so it should be for us. And you might be sitting there thinking, well, I don't have like a dramatic conversion story like Paul. I don't have one of those like cool stories like the alcoholic drug dealing pimp that got saved and now runs an orphanage. I'm not like that. I kind of just grew up in the church. I've always believed in Jesus. Well, well let, me t- let me tell you something. The miracle that took place in Paul, the miracle that took place in the drug dealing alcoholic pimp is exactly the same miracle that took place in you regardless of your background because the Bible tells us in Ephesians 2 that you were dead and now you're alive. I can't think of a greater miracle than that. So don't belittle your salvation by thinking, well, I wasn't that bad, and now I'm, I'm still not that bad. Because you were dead. Dead is dead, and now you're alive. I think we can all re- agree that the, the, the right response to somebody giving you a fishing rod is to go fishing, or if someone gives you a car, the right response is, well, first to question the motives, and then to say, well, I should probably drive this thing. So what's the correct response to Jesus giving you life? To live it. To live it. To explore. To explore life to the fullest. And how do we do that? How do we truly live? By pursuing Jesus. You see, in raising us from death to life, Jesus has given us this greatest gift imaginable. He has made us his own. The same Peter that said... To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen to what he says when he writes a letter to a, ch- to a group of churches later on in his life. He says this in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were in darkness. And Jesus called you out of that into his marvelous light. Why? so that you can proclaim the excellencies of Jesus. That's what pursuing Jesus is. It's continually and consistently in every aspect of your life pointing to Jesus. Pursuing Jesus is is living your life in such a way that your whole life declares Jesus Christ is Lord. Every area of your life says Jesus Christ is Lord because I'll let you into a little secret. He is Lord over every area of your life. And someday, whether you want to or not, you will bow the knee and confess that. And so the challenge for us this morning, if you're a Christian, is is, does my life reflect that? Can this be said about my life? Do I live my life in such a way that points to Jesus, that is pursuing Jesus in every area? Does your life declare that Jesus Christ is Lord? 
the way you are with your friends, the way you are at work, the way you conduct your money, the way, to, the way to you, everything. The list goes on and on and on and on. And this is what our other value is about this morning. Reconciliation and renewal. I'm going to read this as well. I think it should be on the screen for us. Reconciliation and renewal. In Christ Jesus, we are in the business of seeking his kingdom, which is one of redemption and restoration. The gospel is not just about soul saving, but whole life redemption. God is making all things new, present tense. Village is seeking to be a part of that story and passionately believe that this is good news. Good news for this island, for Belfast, and for the streets and neighborhoods we live in. In a unique city where peace isn't taken for granted, where consumerism is becoming the religion of the masses, and where identities and relationships are unclear, we believe Jesus Christ is where new life is found. It's almost as if this was written by a preacher, huh? Hey, look. The kingdom of God is about redemption and restoration. God is here and now making all things new. Sometimes I think that we we can focus so much on our own personal and individual salvation that we forget that God's vision for his creation is much bigger than that. Much, much bigger than that. When the Father sent the Son to come and die on the cross and be raised from the dead, it, it was this cosmic act of restoration. It was about all of creation. It was about rescuing and redeeming and restoring and renewing the entire cosmos. In the book of Revelation, John, uh, one of Jesus' disciples, records the vision that God gave him concerning the kind of the fulfillment and culmination of this like cosmic renovation. I think renovation is maybe a better word than restoration, isn't it? Because God is renewing. Listen to these words. Read along on the screen from Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away and he who was seated on the throne, Jesus, said, Behold, I am making all things new. He also, also he said, Write this down. I like how Jesus is like, John, write this down. <laughs> For these words are trustworthy and true. Of course they are. They come from Jesus. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Did you hear that? That should give you chills. God is making all things new. A new heaven and a new earth. One where there are no tears of sadness. I'll probably still be crying because, you know, it doesn't take much, but... Just be crying and like happiness all the time. There will be no sickness and pain. There will be no mourning because, listen, death will be no more. And when we pursue Jesus, this is the reality that we're pursuing. So in a very real and a present sense, reconciliation and renewal 
is about pursuing Jesus in our relationships and in our society, here and now, in the north of Ireland, in Belfast, in 2018. Listen, I don't know all of your political persuasions. I don't know if you're unionist or nationalist or conservative or liberal, Brexiteer or Remainer, and frankly, that really isn't my primary concern. Because when I read these words from Revelation about the, rea- the reality of the kingdom of God, it just blows every other political system out of the water. This is how it should be for us. The vision of what God is creating among us and in us through Jesus should make everything else completely worthless. And listen, I'm not saying that we shouldn't strive for peace. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about politics. I'm not saying that we shouldn't care about what happens in our society and in our city. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the best thing for Belfast is and always will be Jesus Christ. The only way here or any other place in the world will know true peace and true reconciliation and true flourishing is through submitting to Jesus. Because only he is the way, only he is the truth, only he is the life. Belfast needs Jesus. And he's called us to be the ones to show Jesus to Belfast. And this is why we need to pursue Jesus in every area of our lives. So far from not caring, we, the church, should care the most. We should care about homelessness. We should care about poverty. We should care about climate change. We should care about politics. We should care about what happens on the hill a couple of miles away from here. Why? Because Belfast needs Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 29 that that we should seek the welfare of the city where God has sent us and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, we will find our welfare. We should be invested in our city. We need to be active and working for the good of where we live. You can't separate the gospel and social action. This is why reconciliation and renewal is one of our core values. We strive to bring about real and lasting change in our city. Gospel change. The kind of change that only comes through Jesus. We work hard to implement kingdom values in our city and we do these things not because we're morally superior, because guess what? We're not. But because we've seen the vision of what the kingdom of God is like and it's so, so good. We've seen this vision. We're part of God's plan and so we join God in the renewal of all things. You're all wondering when I was going to get to that, weren't you? This is why... This is why we pray and why we live in Belfast as it is in heaven. And don't pray it if you're not prepared to live it. There's one more aspect of this that I want to bring out as I finish. Um, We strive for reconciliation renewal because we've been reconciled to God and now walk in newness of life. (laughs) Our final scripture for this morning. Maybe, I can't remember. I think it's our final one. This is his prayer. Uh, yeah, Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. 
This is what Paul says. He says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's Paul talking about here? Well, he's, he's, he's speaking into a divided society, a divided community. He's speaking into this racial and religious tension that exists between the Jews and the Gentiles. And what does he say when he's speaking into this divided community? He says that those who are in Christ Jesus, those who are Christians, from any side of any political or religious divide, it doesn't matter because you were, you were both far off from God and through Jesus have been brought near to God. And it's only because of that that you can be reconciled to one another. In other words, we can only have true and lasting reconciliation between human beings when we have reconciliation with God. This is why the best message we have for our city is the message of Jesus. The best thing we can do for the people of our city is present them with Jesus because it's only in Jesus that we have true reconciliation. It's only in Jesus that that true reconciliation and true renewal is achieved. And how is it achieved? What does Paul tell us there? Is it still on the screen? You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. See, Jesus died on the cross and had his flesh torn and his blood shed not so we could be restored into, not into relationship with one another, but so we could be restored to God. And the outworking of that is that we are restored to one another. And after Jesus had been dead for three days, he rose from the grave. And in doing so, he ushered in this new creation. And this is why we strive for reconciliation renewal, because in doing so, we're inviting people into this new kingdom. The kingdom of God. The new creation, one without pain and suffering, one without bitterness and division, one without worry and without sickness and one without even cancer. Death will be done away with. And if you're a Christian this morning, then, then this is, church, this is the reality we live in now. The kingdom is here, it's real, and one day we're going to see it in all its fulfillment. We're going to live that. And if you're not a Christian this morning, the good news is that this is available to you. It's good news. The invitation to you this morning is that, that, that you can have this. And the only way to have it is by turning to Jesus. We saw that, that, that true life is only found in Jesus. So can I just invite you if, you, if you don't know Jesus, just to accept him. Pursue true life, pursue Jesus. You can do it right there where you sit right now. And the invitation for all of us this morning is the same. Listen, we as your leaders, we, 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 can, we can point to Jesus, we can lead you to Jesus, um, and, and we hope and pray and try our hardest to make sure that's all we do. All we have to offer is Jesus. Actually, I say all we have to offer is Jesus. I mean, all we have to offer is Jesus, and Jesus is everything, so that's good. But, but we can lead you to Jesus, we can point you to Jesus, we can take you to the water, but only you can drink. So can I just invite you, um, as I finish this morning, just to pursue Jesus, because everything else is worthless. He's Lord over all. You'll never, never reach the edges of his love. Not even in 10 million years will you go, well, I guess I know everything there is to know about Jesus now. 
Nah. You're just going to be in the same state of awe and marvel for the rest of eternity. Every day is going to be like the day that you first met him. So pursue Jesus. Let's pursue Jesus and, and go after him hard. And when you do pursue him, you'll find true life. You'll find renewed and restored life. You'll find life in all its fullness. Let, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this vision of, of your kingdom that we're given in your word. That you are restoring all of creation to yourself. That one day we will exist in your kingdom, the fulfillment of your kingdom, in which there'll be no tears, there'll be no pain, there'll be no suffering, there'll be no division, there'll be no death. Jesus, help us to remember what it costs for you. What it costs for you to reconcile us to yourself. Your sacrifice, your body broken and your blood spilled. Father, I pray that you would give us the, that you would give us the desire and the stamina and the energy to pursue you endlessly every day for the rest of our lives. Jesus, we pray that we would live in such a way that our lives declare that you are Lord. Everything else is worthless compared to you, Jesus. Give us this vision of yourself that is so glorious and so good that we have no choice but to just drop everything and chase after you with all our might. For your glory, Lord, and for our joy. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Uh, like we do every Sunday, um, we're going to take this simple meal, bread and wine, and like we saw earlier. Jesus' sacrifice he was nailed to a cross. His body was broken, and his blood poured out physically, physically. We sometimes think of this in these ethereal terms, but it's physical. And so we break the bread, and we drink the wine, and we remember that his body was broken and his blood was poured out for us. If you're a Christian, come forward. There's going to be a station here and a station here, and, and uh, we would love to share that meal with you. Come together. Come with your friends. Come with your missional community. Come with a visitor. The Bible says that this meal is for Christians, so if you're not a Christian, we'd ask you to refrain from that maybe and, and, just, and just accept Jesus this morning. But come and, and, and remember what it costs Jesus to pursue you. It costs him everything. Far more than we could ever think or imagine of losing. And he did it. He did it gladly. So let's come to the table and celebrate Jesus. Let's stand.